Welcome to the Fire Church Podcast. Today we pray Holy Spirit will speak through this message and into your life right where you are. Evening church. Let's be up on our feet. Let's stand to our feet for a minute. Let's give God our highest praise. You know why? Because He deserves it all. Amen. Father, we thank You. We give You our highest praise, our highest honour. It is a joy and privilege to be in Your house tonight, to be in Your presence in worship, to be in Your presence in the Word of God. We love You, Jesus. And all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. Grab your seats. Uh, well, the worship, was that something else or what? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just so beautiful to be in the house of God. And, um, I've always kind of dreamt of being part of a church like this. Um, little did I know I'd be able to lead one where the worship would just be so free. And um, I can just be myself. And you see, as a young Christian man, I was told very condescendingly, you'll, you'll settle down, young cub. Um, at a business breakfast worship set. And from that point, I just said, in my head, because you've got to respect your elders. Stuff you, I'm, I'm never going to turn it down. <laughs> in fact, I'll crank it up as much as I can. And uh, like David, right? And we're not just crazy for, for no reason. We're crazy because... We have a king, oh, oh, just missed you, very good. We have a king that loves us and died for us. And, and David understood the beauty of our Lord. And so he danced um, so undignified that even his, his wife, who became strange after this event, said to him, don't you realize how you look? And David said to her, I will be, you think this is undignified? I will be even more undignified than this. And so if you have a problem with my dancing, guess what? It's probably going to get worse for you. Why don't you just jump in and join us at the front, give your hearts devotion and affection, like the Bible says, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Amen? Very good. Um, yes, if you're interested in the Fire Church internship, we are running the info night here. 6.30 p.m., it's been a wild adventure for the last three years, and every Wednesday we gather and meet. God just blows their mind. We do weekly outreaches. We do weekly worship. We, we take time. We don't rush things, especially if we're sensing a move of God. We've seen brothers and sisters delivered of uh, smoking addictions. We've seen them delivered of fear of many different things. And in fact, even this past Wednesday, uh, Brother Josh was at the front. And uh, the, the te- we have tech issues at the moment for the next two Sundays. We're using these two screens. But... Um, we had Brother Josh who, who admitted that he kind of struggled to get here in the morning with just some stuff going on. And we just flowed with one song. And then the Holy Spirit said, now prophesy and get back into worship. And then Carmen just did this prophetic act to unlock a few things in Josh. And before we re- realized it, he was out on the floor weeping before the Lord. And the Lord said, now take your time. Don't rush this. As so we took our time, we prophesied more. We, we prayed for more people. And that afternoon, we saw uh, someone who's part of this church family who's been walking with the Lord for years, for the very first time in her discipleship, get water baptized here. 
on, underneath the stage. We're going to have a water baptism service at the end of this month on the 25th of June off the back of a testimony because we're up to our Bible revival in sharing our testimonies. And for the first time we heard that one of our interns who's a new Christian who got baptized in this tank in November last year got set free from 17 years of antidepressant medication and five years of meth addiction. God gives, God deserves all our praise. Amen. And for those of you who are in the know with uh, that type of medication, antidepressants, you can't just go cold turkey. There is some pretty serious side effects, but she's been free since November. And that is something significant to uh, really give God uh, the honor and praise for. And so this really inspired one of our interns to reach out to her sister. At the end of the internship day, we're getting her ready to be baptized. Priscilla, congratulations. And then Josh, who left slightly early to reach out to his bro, uh, rang and said, have you guys finished the baptism? She said, no, not yet. Can I bring, please bring my brother? He wants to give his life to Jesus and get water baptized. And so do we do? We baptize the brother too. So God is the best. It wasn't baptism Sunday service. It was just whatever God wanted, and we'll make room for that. Amen. In fact, an early announcement. Um, who's heard of Todd Smith, North Georgia Revival? He's a Baptist preacher, and you should look him up. And he said, out of everyone, I'm probably the most skeptical, because as a Baptist, we've been scammed many times over the years. But what God has shown him at his church in a baptismal tank full of water was an open vision, like the way I'm looking at Anna right now, with flames on top of the baptismal tank. And the Lord said there would be great signs, wonders, and miracles that will flow as you obey me in baptizing people. And so since 2018, they've seen 30,000 people get water baptized around the world. All sorts of um, miracles and healings have taken place. Everything that you can think of, except for raising the dead. I mean, that would be kind of funny. You try to chuck a dead body in a baptismal tank and maybe someone needs to try it. I think Lee's keen to try it. Um, but we have Todd Smith come here late August. That's pretty exciting. We had some Zooms with him. And uh, we, we just sense, and this is open to all, by the way. We, he's seen Christians who've been walking with the Lord with long-term uh, health conditions be healed from the baptism orders. And so this is for new and current. And so that's pretty exciting. There's a lot of great things coming up. And um, tonight I felt to yeah, continue the series that God's laid on my heart on the generational cycle, raising up heroes in a time of crisis. I'm going to quickly recap on last week's content to get everyone back up to speed, especially if you weren't here in the room. But um, I was asking the Lord, I was even kind of challenged today and this afternoon and even in the worship, Lord, this does sound a little bit crazy. I'm going to look like a bit of a nut job here for, for a minute. And, uh, you know, we're going to delve into things that have, we've seen together in the world for the last three years. And I think it's now safe to unpack such topics, if you're willing to go with me, that not everything is a conspiracy. And those things that were considered a conspiracy is now actually coming true. And if you were wondering, oh no, are we going down dangerous grounds? Conspiracy, conspiracy. Someone's gone down rabbit hole. Lynn Trigenza, we love you. Lynn's in the know. The Bible talks about conspiracies. Isaiah 8 verse 12, you 
are not to say it is conspiracy in regard to all that these people call a conspiracy and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Conspiracy, by definition, is just to conspire. So there are things that aren't, and then there are things that are. Jeremiah 11, verse 9, Then the Lord said to me, conspiracy, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Matthew 12, 14, but, when, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. And Acts 23, verse 12, When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Matthew 12, we see that the Pharisees from, the, from early on conspired against Jesus. Up until the very end, Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission. Going to all the world and and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before that, what is before that? A massive conspiracy theory. Who remembers that conspiracy theory where they realized Jesus had been taken out of the tomb and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, paid the guards to tell a lie to the officials that late at night, Jesus' disciples entered the tomb and took the body out. And the Bible says that is the story even till today. That is what some Jews believe. That is the conspiracy captured and recorded in the Bible. And I think for us as Christians or even as people, you might be in the room, you're not even a Christian, but there has been this stigma, uh, this negative connotation, if you would dare to ask some questions about what has really gone on for the last three years. You don't want to be labelled as a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist because the project says that is not a good look on you. You know what I mean? But things are starting to shake up now. I mean, garlic is now all of a sudden the cure for COVID-19. Why couldn't they tell us that back in 2020? Just whack me some garlic pizza instead of a vaccine. I'll be good. Come on. But there's no money in that. There's no money in pizza. So yeah, yes, we are going to go there tonight. And um, I just want to preface everything with, with the fact that I, I, I love you. Hear me out. Every single person in this room, I love you. Every single leader and globalist, our friends that you can see on the screen, I love them. These are people at the end of the day, regardless of the choices we've made, regardless of the things that they're trying to impose on the world, these are people at the end of the day. I'm mad though, and it's not, I'm not mad at anyone in the room or even at the globalists, but I'm mad at the devil who controls, who conspires right from way back when against God and his people. But if you know your Bible, Psalms 2, why do the nations conspire? Why do the nations plot and kings band together and plot against the Lord? You know what the Lord says? He laughs at them and he scoffs at them and he rebukes them. So if you've struggled over the last three years, and as pastors in our movement, Australian Christian churches, great movement, many fathers and mothers in the faith. I'm a young dad. I wear Jordans, 
I've got a fade. I've barely got grey hair. I'm a dad. I'm a young spiritual dad. I get it. I, I, I do think I, I have something to say. Given all that's happened and all that we've walked through, and I love that our movement cared so much to put us through some training around what has happened over the last three years, some Christian counselors to say last time the world experienced something like this, where there is this term called collective trauma, was in 9-11, when the two World Trade Centers were targeted, destroyed, and in particular in America, for the next five years, there was collective trauma and fear around flying, that, oh, that person with a beard, are they a terrorist? <laughs> poor, poor dudes with beards and turbans, right? Are they carrying something? Do they have a bomb on them? Are they going to try and take the plane? There's this collective trauma that lasted. So I'm, I'm quite aware that we're not out of the woods yet in terms of our mental health. Some of you have lost loved ones through, you know, regrettable decisions as we were locked up and, and saw things really go downhill. Some of you have lost loved ones to the so-called solution. And, and I praise God, no one under our watch has died neither from the vaccine or from the disease. We've prayed hard. We've sought the Lord hard. We had people that went to the hospital for both reasons, right? But we believe God is the God who heals yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So there's been some pretty drastic cases. People who have come to this church because um, they said they were kicked out of their last church, they were coerced to getting something that they didn't want, and now ended up in a wheelchair with blood clots all the way down to their feet, almost ready to be amputated. That drastic, that insane. We've also had people go to the ICU because of the virus. So I, I get there needs to be a balance in all of this. But now when you start to hear, hey, garlic is a solution, it, it's, it's, it makes you want to question things. Especially if you know, and, and we start to go down the path of what is really coming down the line. When we look at generational cycles, let's, let's jump in. Everyone say jump in. Okay, here we go. Let's see if this works. I'll just reset this a bit. It's a great reset on my control. No pun intended. Here we go. I touched on this last week. Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. The wisest king that ever walked the earth, King Solomon, recognized the patterns of people. He's not talking about technology. There wasn't iPhones back then, but he's talking about the patterns of people. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new. Let's go to the next slide as well. There it is. I'm just going to quickly fly through the four generational archetypes. If you weren't here last week or if you forgot, there's this study um, conducted by William Strauss and Neil Howey on the generational cycle over the last 500 years in America. And there's this common thread and repeat of human behavior that every generation, 20 or so years, there is this common theme, a general, uh, generational archetypes that, that point people to perhaps their behavior and what they're going to stand for in that generation and in that time. So let's quickly fly through them. We have first the artist, um, and surprise, surprise, the greatest artist that have been born during the time was Elvis. Uh, I think the Beatles as well was part of that. 
They were, it isn't just generally musical artists, but those who express themselves, especially from a time of great uh, depression that they come out of. And we saw them, these people, when they were born, these general archetypes. In this study, it shows that people are coming to the height of their influence from the age of 40 to 60. And prior to that, as young adults, they are the foot soldiers of society. We see the prophets, the baby boomers, the prophets of, the, of this time who are still around, uh, the ones we're going to touch on tonight, are the prophets like Klaus Schwab, George Soros, Bill Gates. These are people who are still wanting to influence the world. And prophets are known not so much for their actions, but for their values and, and, the, and the principles that they want to leave the world. Whereas the heroes at the end, they're more known for their actions. The young adults of our time. The heroes, born 1983 to 2004, and the current leaders of our uh, society are the nomads, the baby boomers, the latchkey kids, the kids who came home in the 70s and 80s without a mum or dad because they're both at work, hence the nickname, the latchkey kids. But as a benefit, that taught you guys to be more resourceful, independent, work hard, and, uh, and that's why we see some great entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Uh, Steve Jobs for Apple and things like that, right? And then the heroes, the millennials, born for such a time as this, the foot soldiers of our society. It is no wonder and surprise why the enemy is targeting millennials and now Gen Zs, the younger generations, an attack on identity, an attack on who they're meant to be, feeding Gen Ys, Gen Zs with lies about who they're, are in, and their fit in society, even down to the point of their sexuality. I will touch on that later on with much love as well. Obviously, let's go to the next part. All right. So, just a very brief high overview. Um, we see between 80 to 100 years, there's this thing in the study, the generational study called the seculum, that... Every 20 or so years, there is some four turns. The first one being 100 years ago was the crisis. And the last crisis that we saw that impacted the world was World War II. During that time, a Great Depression also hit. And as a result, World War II was birthed because Hitler had some pretty ambitious goals and recruited the young adults of that time to pick up arms and, and fight for his cause. After that, after the, the Nazis were defeated, there came a time of high values where the golden age, like the 50s, and you hear songs like maybe Twist Again or Elvis songs, Jailhouse Rock, somewhat innocent songs. Kevin, you're here. Kevin, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no, he gave me a good reference before the service started. He said he remembered this last week and he knows with every change of generation, there was a change of song. And as a result, law. There's a change of popular music which influenced law. Lady Gaga in the 2000s, I was born this way. What followed shortly after? The legalization of gay marriage, right? So music, the arts also influence society. I'm going to touch on the seven mandates soon. Mountain mandates. Um, we're going to go to the awakening. So time of high. But, you know... People will start to get over the time of high. They, they don't see themselves fitting into the nuclear family of 
The husband goes to work, the wife stays home, looks after the kids. It's the white picket fence uh, model. And then there's the spiritual awakening. Come the hippies and Woodstock and setting your mind free through LSD, marijuana. If you've seen Jesus Revolution maybe it touches on this. But there is always a counterculture. The kingdom is always counterculture to what the world is doing. And we see that the Christians of that time who embraced the hippies, who were looking for truth, they, like Chuck Smith, inviting them to Calvary Church, having the nickname the Jesus Freaks, because these hippies who you'd never think would be in church, with their beards, their beads, and their bare feet, are now in church. And I prophesied this a few weeks ago, just before Good Friday, that the next wave of people that I do believe will come into the kingdom of God is gay people. It's people who've been looking for significance, for truth, for love, for meaning, trying to find it in the world because the enemy is so clever. He is the father of lies that he will put together a counter culture that seems so fitting, seems so promising, but like many of my personal friends in that world, have left feeling so empty, lost, depressed, anxious, and the list goes on. Only Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. And so I do sincerely believe that the next wave of people that's going to come through our building and many churches around the world it will be the least that we expect. It's the ones that the media says, you'll never find them in your church because you guys have got a, a, a message that is not fitting to their narrative. You hang on to the truth. You hang on to the truth and the truth will set people free. Amen. People are craving truth. They may need to taste the world for a little bit to realize the truth isn't there. But then I pray that they'll come and seek the Lord. And when they do come through these doors, I pray that every single person, regardless of their background, will feel the love and the compassion of God. Amen. We need to get better at this. We need to get better at this. We need to be more mindful. We need to be more sensitive. And how do we actually reach out to people who are struggling in this area? And I don't have the answers yet. You might. You might. All right. The awakening. Then comes the unraveling. The culture wars, 1982 to our current times, the popularity of, you know, the non-binary idea that there is more than two genders, that maybe let's now start to allow and legalise the marriage between male and males, and females with females, right? Come now the crisis where these things are set in motion. We have now experienced a one in a 100 year pandemic, Strauss and Howe predicted this back in 1997 when this study was released that, hey, there's going to be another crisis. 2008, the global financial crisis. 2020, the most recent pandemic we've had. 1918 to 1919 with the Spanish flu, the last pandemic. They're on point. There's something to be said about the times we're in. And in fact, the times that we're in we have the prophets still trying to lead the world and influence and leave a mark led by the nomads. So you got your, let's go to the next screen. You got Mr. Klaus Schwab. Don't you just love the guy? Look at his outfit. He's the globalist that started the World Economic Forum. 
I, I, the, the more I study these guys, like, I mean, I was really angry when I first got to know about these characters, but the more I study their life, man, I just start to feel sorry for them. I mean, he's 84. He, he, can, he, can, he can croak and be facing God any day now. I'm praying for his soul. I don't want him to go to, you know, face God on judgment seat without getting right with Jesus. He's got an eternal damnation, hate to say it, coming his way if he doesn't get right with God. So now I just see him as this endearing grandfather in his futuristic suit, trying to look like the future, trying to change the future with some pretty evil agendas. Dr. Evil. It kind of looks like Dr. Evil too, doesn't he? But I see the broken man and I see the, the spirit of the evil one working through him. So as much as uh, he's brought about some pretty devastating things in our history, I still feel for the guy. He's known as recently saying, you will own nothing and be happy. Isn't that a nice sentiment? You will own nothing and be happy. Mr. Klaus Schwab, the founder of the Economic Forum. This man has been influenced by the father of communism. Let's go to the next part. Why the Marxist theory, thanks, Kat, has it crashed on you? Karl Marx, for those who know a um, bit of the history, Karl Marx, the father of communism, the author of the Commun Communist Manifesto, where the idea is to get rid of any social class because it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem good, that people should live in a society where there's a, a lower class, a middle class, or a higher class. So he, it does sound promising, doesn't it? It actually does sound very idealistic, hence the word utopian, a perfect state of being. But if you look over history and the movies that have been made, over people and leaders who've tried to gain a, a state of utopia, it's actually met with dystopia dystopian rules, dystopian um, uh, themes in, in, in the world and the society that they're trying to create. It's actually full of tyranny, full of injustices, uh, full of conspiracies, all that kind of stuff. And so we see Karl Marx, even though he, he was around in the 1800s, his theories have continued on. And I'm going to just turn to my notes here because I don't want to miss anything. And we see that, that Karl Schwab is now influenced and he feels the, the call, the need to bring somewhat of a communist um, rule into our world. And that's why he's, he's gathered together world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, billionaires to come together and say, hey, we need to change the world. And in fact, we have a very unique Moment in history, a one in 100 year chance, because they understand this as well, to usher in the Great Reset. Plan 2030. If you don't believe me, you can look it up. This is just word for word, verbatim. Some of the things that um, his friends talk about, Bill Gates and George Soros, you'll see their faces next. Bill Gates is a longtime believer of depopulation. Some of you already know this. And verbatim, word for word, at that time, the population uh, of the world being about 7 billion, 
he is on record by saying, if we're clever enough through, again, hear my heart, and I believe God's protected everyone in this room and those watching, through vaccines and reproductive health care, we can reduce this number by 15%. This guy is saying it plainly to our faces, yet the world thinks nothing of it. I mean, it's common sense to me to, to realize if this is the message going out by world leaders, that I need to be careful and watchful in what's coming down from them. Is that okay? Is it okay to apply a little bit of common sense? Not be afraid to talk about even the, the hard things? There's things that I regret over the last three years, although, you know, no, no regrets, all good. All right, looking back now, I wish we had done what... Um, uh, Rodney Howard Brown did. Never shut down. We shut down. We told you all, you can't come into the building, just watch online. There was a level of fear that we actually did succumb to. Looking back now, hindsight is a friend. If it happens again, let's keep these damn doors open. Amen. Sorry for saying the D word. Some people don't like that in church. So yes, I have my regrets too. Communism, a system which eliminates inequality because citizens all live equally in tragedy. That's the irony. Those living in Ukraine discovered this in the early 1930s when the Great Famine struck. Who knows about a little bit about their history? 1930s, the Great Famine, right? Somewhere up to 12 million people starved to death after Joseph Stalin... Stalin, 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 Stalin convinced Soviet people to turn on their villagers' farmers because he subscribed to Marxist logic. He was trying to eliminate a class of that time of influence, of um, affluence, was the farmers. So he convinced the people of the Soviet Union to turn on the farmers. When you turn on the farmers who produce the food, guess what happens? There's no food. And then guess what happens? People starve and then people die. This whole thing about climate uh, hysteria, yes, it is. It's all part of what our friends here are trying to bring in and usher in to say, hey, you can't let your cows fart too much or mix their poo and wee in too much because this is great tragedy on nature. And so why do the Dutch farmers... Why were they up in arms? Because they were told that you need to shut down your farms by a certain nearby date. But what happens, again, we look over history about 100 years ago. We're coming up to 2030, about 100 years ago, when you shut down the farmers, you run out of food, you become desperate, you come under the control and leadership of those in power. And so the Dutch farmers had a right to be angry. I will serve my father and not the government. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just bad. I married a Dutch girl. Jess is half Dutch. And I uh, watched uh, too many Austin Powers growing up. And so, <laughs> terrible Dutch accent. Marxist logic, so the communist logic, dictates that if someone profits from a sale, they have robbed you. If there is inequality, a crime has been committed. 
that notion has prompted much horror over the years and left many people equal in poverty. And yes, capitalism indeed creates inequality, but it is also the only system known to man which also creates equality. Money can be created, jobs can be created, and people can be pulled out of tragedy and despair by capitalism itself. Um, let's go to the next room. We're going to touch back on that little point. So we have a friend here, George Soros, Grandpa Schwab, and maybe young Grandpa Gates. I mean, I, I, I know the stuff that they've done, the stuff they've implemented. Again, I look at their faces, and I'm saddened to think any day now, these guys can be standing before the throne of God in judgment. Please pray for their souls. Please pray for an awakening of their spirits, that they get right with God before they die. The Nobel Peace Prize was created by a man who was once labeled a warmonger, a guy who created weapons. When he realized his profile, he had a change of heart to create what we know now as the Nobel Peace Prize Award. But these guys have got some pretty interesting plans that they want to implement into the world, that they've said, this is now a unique opportunity in time. George Soros, paraphrasing, he basically said, we have a unique time in our history to take control, where control is needed. They are about the removal of your own sovereign choice. Hence the 15-minute cities in the UK that they're trying to implement. All under the banner of climate hysteria. It's crazy, right? Pastor Alex has gone crazy, hasn't he? <laughs> let's, go to the, let's go to the next one. Um, this is what I love about God. Because um, what, we see, what we see here with um, God's system in terms of wealth, in terms of poverty and how do you actually help people out of poverty is not too dissimilar from the capitalist theory in, in the world in which we live in. Neoliberalism is what uh, you know, Schwab is aiming to eliminate. It's what um, is the political theme of capitalism to let people be free, to be of uh, little government regulation, to actually let people just have, be in, entering into a free market and let them be creative in their own right and let them create jobs in their own right and businesses and successes in their own right without putting a cap or a limit to it. So let's turn to the Word of God. What does God say? And, and I love the story of Dorcas because it's so fitting to what it says here in Leviticus 19.33-34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. This is Old Testament, guys. Come on. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you remember you were once foreigners in Egypt and how you were treated? Don't let a foreigner be treated that way. Don't let them feel that way. Six chapters later, if a foreigner residing among you becomes rich. See, God has no issues with being rich. He only has an issue with richness having a consumption on you. If a foreigner residing among you becomes rich and any of you, your fellow Israelites, become poor and sell themselves to the foreigner or to a member of the foreigner's clan, 
they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them, an uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them, or if they prosper, they may redeem themselves. God gives us, the Bible says, the power to gain wealth. He has no issues with you prospering, with you becoming wealthy, because he knows it blesses those around you. If a foreigner becomes rich, let them buy someone. In, in, that was language at that time. It essentially just means give them a job, help them with some employment, and then maybe a family can redeem them, can you know, buy their service back. Or if they're fortunate enough, if they become rich themselves, they can buy out of that contract. This is the system of God. Aren't you, glad, aren't you glad we don't serve a communist God? We serve a God that empowers you. And that's why we hold business discipleship meetings. We want to empower you to see the fullness of God in your business, in your workplace. Because we know this is God's system to help others out of poverty. To give them a hand up. To help them live out their dreams. Their God-given dreams. To leave a legacy. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. Who wants to be a good man in this place? Let's go to the next part. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderers, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Who sees this as the world we're in right now? That people do not love God by and large. They're lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. They're proud, they're arrogant, they're divisive. But guess who still loves them? God does. And because God loves them, we do. Amen. Let's go to the next part. I thought it'd be interesting to also put on an uh, end times chart. You're not an end times preacher unless you have an end times chart. Where we currently at, according to scripture... No, the rapture has not happened. Jesus hasn't come back and taken any of his saints yet. Otherwise, we're the ones left behind. And if you know Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort, we are in a terrible state. And the world should actually look much worse. You should have a mark of the beast, as the Bible says, either on your forehead or on your right hand. We're not at that point yet. Praise the Lord. Does anyone know, has anyone experienced anyone being raptured. Does anyone know who's being raptured? No, we're not there. We're not there. You're still here. You're still here. And so our present church age is pre-rapture. We see with scriptures, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. The beginning of sorrows, three and a half years, the great tribulation. Um, in amongst all that, the desecration of the temple, the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. And by the way, in all that we've experienced over the last three years, how fitting is it that the world and its leaders are now 
have got a nice practice run for when this thing actually takes place. They realize the benefit of leveraging technology, of mass formation, uh, abusing people's uh, psychology, coercing them to the point to saying yes to something that they don't want, lest you be labeled a, a conspiracy theorist or, or going against the solution. There will come a point in our lives potentially where if you're left behind and you're watching this broadcast, do not get the mark of the beast. You can grow your own vegetables, grow your own cow, have a rib or two. I'm just mucking around. But who knows, someone might be watching this back. That crazy pastor, Alex, told me not to get the mark of the beast, so please don't get it. That, that is a sign of devil worship, of bowing down. And if that time comes, when that time comes rather, and if you find yourself in that time, the Bible says, Matthew 24, run for the hills. <laughs> Go somewhere where you can really just ride out that, that seven-year tribulation. That is going to be some hectic times. But for the Christian, and this is why it is important for us to be like the sons of Issachar, to know the times we're in. So they know what, the, what they need to do, that we know what we need to do, the sons of Issachar, who understand the times. Like the wise virgins, ten virgins started off with, but five were considered foolish, who didn't have en enough oil in their lamps for their wicks. And five wise, who were ready at the sound of the trumpet, at the sound of the groom coming, they were ready to go. They had their light shining and they were led into salvation. But for the foolish ones who perhaps don't live by the word of God, by just any wind of demonic doctrines. I mean, I see churches now who have bowed down completely to the new world order to say, it is actually, I saw this video yesterday, it is holy to cross dress. I go, oh my goodness. What a dangerous world we're in now to suggest such things that make people stumble so far down. To affirm the castration of body parts, an irreversible decision to say that is from God. I'm sorry, but that is plainly a doctrine of devils. Be weary. Stay watchful. Stay alert, the Bible says. Be the wise ones. I know it's not a popular message, but it, it needs to be shared. So let's look at these scriptures. Some encouragement now. And by the way, the, the whole idea of how I touched on it earlier, depopulation. Bill Gates openly saying 15%. We need to bring this down 15% through reproductive health measures. That's a nice, fancy way of talking about abortions. Come Roy V. Wade, right? The generational cycle, forgot to touch on that. The unraveling, what came about, what passed in law during that time of unraveling, Roe V. Wade, the legalization of abortion. And if you're in the room, you've gone through that, understand this, that there is no judgment on you at all. God loves you. I have a, a friend, a pastor's daughter, who went through a very regrettable abortion when she was, I think, 18 with a guy that her dad never wanted her to be with. He was even in church. 
And it was tragic, it was sad, it was heartbreaking. The dad, a pastor, the old man, the old gangster came out and punched the guy out. Can I be honest? I'll probably do the same. <laughs> do I lose my credentials if I said that? But you understand the heart of the father, right? Fast forward now. She's got four beautiful children to a, a manly, uh, a manly God, a God of, uh, what's the term? A godly man. It's a manly God. A godly man. Manly God like Cooper. His guns. And, um, you know, God is a redemptive God. There's no judgment here at all for anyone who's done any of these things. Um, David Hogan, when I was driving him around, he told me he has a church. They, they have a network of 2,000 pastors. One of their churches is a church in, in their culture in Mexico. They call them the church of regrets. What's, that's what they call themselves. People who have gone through sexual um, transition surgery and they have deep regrets about their choices, but they've been met by the love of God. They find themselves in the community where they can support each other and, and, and counsel each other through their hurt, through their brokenness, to live a full life for God. Isn't God good? Isn't he amazing and redemptive? So let's go to the scriptures here. First Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Don't be asleep. Everyone say, stay awake. Nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. <laughs> Daniel Hutchinson liked that one. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The Greek word here is hapatso, the catching up. The, the, the word rapture isn't in the Bible per se, but the root word of rapture is hapatso, which is found here, the caught up, the catching way. If you're in Matthew 24, it says it'll be like two people working in a field, and then all of a sudden one is caught up. The rapture at any time now. We caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall say, we shall always be with the Lord. The Lord is getting ready, his bride, to be caught up with him. I mean, I have a heart for the lost too, right? When I first came across this theology, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, but what about my brother? He's a bit of a heathen. I'll hang around for him, lead him to the Lord, lead him to the way, show him the way. He's, oh, happy birthday, bro, if you're watching. I doubt you're watching anyway. He turns 40 on Friday. He was at the altar with me when we gave our lives to Jesus, July 16, 2003. Is he walking a life honoring God? Not yet. Not yet. I'm still praying for my brother. Just because you've been to church, just because you've prayed a prayer, doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking with the Lord. He's looking for the wise virgins. I, I, I put myself in, I guess, in that hero state of mind. 
watching Ray Comfort and, and uh, Kirk Cameron left behind. Leave me behind, Lord. What about my family? What about my friends? But that's hectic. That's a hectic time in our coming history. But for those who are to be with the Lord, by the way, this is the pre-trib. Um, theology is backed by many known and well-trusted well theologians. It's okay if you have a different point of view. We're not going to break covenant because of a differing opinion. All good. Just show me scripture and we can talk it out. All good. I've got mine. You show me yours. You might even convince me. All right. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 6 to 8. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The reason why we haven't seen the Antichrist reveal himself yet and say, here I am, start the seven-year clock, and the great tribulation will, will take place, is because of this scripture, that the restraining force is still on the earth. Who is the restraining force? Holy Spirit. And where does Holy Spirit reside? In us, in you and me. We are the restraining force. May the force be with you. And also with you, all my Star Wars friends. We are the restraining force. That he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's no brainer that evilness is already at work. That the coming of the Antichrist is already in the making. Revelations 13, Revelations 17 talk about a one world government. We're heading that way. Our, our, our mate Klaus is implementing world leaders to band together, to come together to a town near you. Santa Claus Schwab is coming to town. If he hasn't already, <laughs> I love the guy. You've got to love the guy. You've got to pray for them. And then when the restraining force is taken out, then the lawless one will be revealed. We will be caught up Hapasso, the catching away, the rapture. And there might, might be some believers who haven't been walking with the Lord, who perhaps haven't been like the, the wise virgins, lived foolishly, lived self-centered and for their own pleasures, not really lovers of God, but more lovers of themselves. Being left behind is also the mercy of God. Rather than Facing him in eternity, he's actually going to say, hey, who are you going to serve? Is it the devil or is it me? This is your chance now. And they will be left with the responsibility to preach the good news, to preach the truth. It says somewhere in the scriptures, those who don't bow down to the devil and their death will be regarded as a reward. This is some pretty hectic stuff. But every church needs preachers. The end times, the revelations, it, it, not just the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I'm in the Psalms every week. Not just the Proverbs. I, I'm in the Proverbs every week. 
but to be aware of our times. Our eschatology lecturer, my favorite um, Bible college lecturer, Dr. Camille Magdalene, he says, if you have a healthy understanding of the end times, you have a healthy walk with God. Because you understand the times are precious, the times are short. That you can go any day now. Whether it be a rapture or an unexpected event, and you stand before God and you're in heaven. And you have to give an account. Teachers of the word have to give a double account. Don't covet what I'm doing. It, it, it is enjoyable. It, it, it is great. There is times where it is very challenging. But I'm, I'm acutely aware that I will be standing before God giving an account double than those who perhaps didn't teach the Word of God. What drives me more in touching hard subjects like this, because I would rather preach on revival and seeing sick people healed and all that kind of stuff, and that we do in this church, praise God. You've got Heather and Kevin. Give us a wave. Kevin and Heather, where are you at, Heather? I saw you earlier. Both being healed. Of deafness, no more hearing aids, no more tinnitus, no more ringing in the ears. This is only just last couple of weeks. We do all that, but the Lord was stretching me. He says, "Are you willing to talk about the hard stuff? Are you willing to let my people be aware so that they don't fall asleep?" All right, Lord, let's do this. I, um, I think I'll, I'll be completely ignorant. If I think to myself, no one's been offended by this message, and I get maybe it's, it's hit a nerve here or there, but please understand my heart that we love you. As a church leadership, we had to navigate a very tri- tricky season over the last three years, but we always say to ourselves, regardless of the choices that individuals make and us as a church, and I hope you've been forgiven towards us when we did shut down the church, and so you can't come into our building, we always want to bring it back to love and unity. That we can learn from what has passed. And we can say to ourselves, you know what? Never again will we do that. Um, I just sense Holy Spirit just wants to, I'll, I'll talk about that collective trauma. Jess was in that training. I think you were in that training too? Yeah. There's this sense in the air with all that's happening, with all that's continuing to unfold. And if you're not, um, if you're not with the times, it's all going to come even more as a shock than what the last three years have presented. And I feel to address the trauma in the room that there might be some um, lingering from what has uh, transpired with perhaps family and friends who have made some choices and, and uh, you know, just putting it out there, have ended their life during that crazy season where there was an attack on mental health. And I, I know because I've, I've counseled enough people through this that that spirit of suicide jumps and it will try and convince you to do the same thing. There's people in the room, perhaps, where you're dreading what's going to come down the line. My goodness, Pastor Alex, you've just brought on some fear. That's not my intention. 
My intention is just to bring some light to the matter, to what's already been shared publicly by these guys. I was just quoting them. I'm not making anything up. I was just quoting them, using their words. And for the most part, verbatim, word for word. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, what are we in? What is this world? Can I rest, put some um, peace and rest into your mind? That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. And do not fear the one that can just destroy this body, but fear the one who can destroy both your body and your soul. God is calling people to be watchmen of the night, to sound the alarm, to not remain complacent and silent anymore. And I'm not just talking about being social media heroes and, and you know, just slamming everyone with a different opinion. But I'm talking about having a heart-to-heart conversation with perhaps your loved ones, your family and your friends. They're going down a path of hell. Wide and open is the road to destruction, but narrow is the path to life. And some of us would rather be comfortable and not share what God has done in our lives because lest we be in an awkward position and be rejected by a family member, a friend or a colleague. But time is short. When I used to uh, coach salespeople and their managers, there was this thing that was an obstacle in people actually giving proper service to customers. When you find out their issue, a great salesperson will ask not what you just want, but why do you want that? What is the driving need? What is the the unspoken fears or rewards that you're after? When you uncover that, then you come in with a solution. Well, it makes sense then, based on what you told me, what you fear, what you want to avoid, I've got the solution for you. Most with the right training will get to that point. But then some people will back out when the crunch comes, when they actually ask, do you want to take this service or this product? Do you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? We found as we coached a whole organization around Australia that the common thing why people wouldn't ask a simple question after all the effort that they went through was based on this main thing, the need for approval. They would just want to be your friend. They think, if I ask you for the business, Linda, you might hate me. You, you might think I'm pushing. You, you might think I'm shoving a product down your throat. But if you've gone through the effort of finding out that someone is so desperate without Jesus, that someone is on a path to hell because of their sin, their issues, and they're going through depression, anxiety, fear, why wouldn't you offer them Jesus? Let's do away 
with the approval of man, the need for approval. You've already been approved by God. You've already been approved by our Saviour. So ask the question. I love playing chess. And for many years, my strategy was to get down to the last pawn, pawn versus king. Then I got around some friends who were quite amazing at chess. You can win a game real quick by having the right strategies in place and going for the kill early. I, the quickest move I lost to a friend to was pawn, uh, bishop, uh, three moves. Had me, three moves. I'll copy that move. Why waste time? When we do outreach, you've gone that far. Why waste any more time? Do you want Jesus now? Are you in the room? You've heard all that I've said and you're not sure when that time comes and you're standing before God, are you right with Him? Or are you not sure? Heaven is calling. Jesus is knocking. Are you right with Him? Are you right with Him? Perhaps you've been walking this life as a Christian, but you know you've been like one of those foolish virgins. Do you want to get right with Him and live now properly for Him and with Him? With every eye closed and head bowed. I want to do three call-outs. First one is, you know you need to... It's not the hard thing. I want to reshape this language. You know you need to do the right thing and tell your family and your friends and your colleagues about Jesus, but if you're honest in yourself, like I had to be honest with myself, that I feared of the lack of their approval, that I might be rejected, that I might look like an embarrassment and have a reputation in the workplace. What's more important? Their opinion or their eternity? And it's always a win when you share the gospel. Whether you have someone that gives their life to Jesus on the spot or you sow a seed. Because the Bible says someone else will come and water it and God will cause the growth. So if there's people in the room that you found it challenging to share the gospel to your family, your friends, your colleagues, whoever it is, we're going to pray for boldness over you. I had to receive this prayer myself. I want you to come down to the front very soon. There's people who have walked away from God. You were once living for Him. You even consider yourself a Christian because you're in the room. You say, yeah, I'll go to church. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian household. But if you're completely honest in your heart, you're not burning for Him. You don't have that flammable wick like the wise virgins had that was so dipped and soaked in oil in the Holy Spirit that the tiniest flame can make you ablaze. You, in fact, have dried up in your spirit. You've dried up in your walk with God. And the night is dark and the night is cold and you're wandering around, groping in the dark for a sense of light, for a sense of direction. And you know it's the Holy Spirit in you that needs to be reignited. Perhaps you've walked away and you know it's time to come back home. And for the third group, you're not right with God. 20 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. Partying, drinking, always being 
feeling empty. Fine at the time, but waking up to regret and emptiness. Until I invited the one who created me, who died for me, who made me whole. There is a God-shaped vacuum in your heart and can only be filled by God through the, through the Son, Jesus Himself, and the work on the cross. So for the three groups, you need prayer, boldness, encouragement, anointing to preach the good news. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my chefs, my carpenters, my teachers, my pastors, even pastors on this, right? We think, you know what, maybe my calling is just to do an occupation. Our fundamental calling, apart from becoming more like Jesus, is so that you shall be my witnesses, to be a witness for Him. If that's you, come to the front right now. Is there anyone else? God really honours those who are willing to make this step of faith in a bold public declaration to say, yes, that is me. Time is short. My family don't know Him yet. I've got kids, grandkids that don't know Jesus yet. And you see them going down this uh, path of destruction, of depression. And we see God sets people free. Just last Wednesday we heard that story. What a powerful story. The second group, um, you've walked away from God and you know you need to come back. Or you know you're not burning for Him and you need to be burning for Him. Don't be like the foolish virgins anymore. Is there any prodigal sons and daughters in the house that need to come here at the front as well? And then lastly, if you've never given your life to Jesus, can we all just pray this prayer? I'm going to get my wife, Jess, come up here. Can you just lead these beautiful people into a prayer of making Jesus their Lord and Savior? Let's just, with our mouthpiece, repeat these words, but you're speaking to the Lord right now in this moment, not to anyone around us and certainly not to us. Between you and God, say, Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my whole life. Right now, in this moment, between you and me, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all of my sin. Cleanse me, Lord, by the blood of Jesus. And thank you, Father, that you accept me. You fully accept me, God, exactly the way I am right now. And thank you, Jesus, that you will direct my steps from this day forward. I want to follow you, God, and I want to be your son and your daughter. Thank you, God, that I have a seat at your table 
and a life with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we just, I know in this moment it's quiet and it's precious. But you know, right now for those hearts who have just been given over and made the most incredible decision Can we celebrate with those who have done that tonight? Can we just praise God for his mercy and his grace? For bringing these precious people here into this moment for such a time as this, for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to knock on our heart. And many of us have had that moment. And so we celebrate with you tonight. If you just gave your life to the Lord, the way, the truth and the life, the only way to be in heaven, to be with God forever. We celebrate that and we're so grateful to be a part of that. So good. If um, you prayed that prayer for the very first time, can I ask you to do something very bold right now and just come and, and meet your family here at the front. We'd love to pray with you, meet you, get to know you. Because we want to help you in this walk. You're not called to do this on your own. There's no such thing as a solo Christian, as a renegade Christian. It's always in community. Discipleship is the word discipline one and student. You don't become a student without a teacher, without someone discipling you. And so we have an, a great um, team member here, Pastor Lee Wong. He's our outreach leader over there. My twin, he's got a black shirt too. And um, he has an amazing teaching gift that would really empower you in your new walk with God to know that you're not doing this alone. There's, gonna be, there's a, you know, a bunch of new people as well. Um, and you're going to be loaded up with the Word of God to walk this life confidently for Him. You know, the Bible talks about the enemy who wants to take away the seed of decision away lest you become fruitful for God. And actually win others to Him as well. Is there anyone else in the room that you know you need to get right with God? Can I ask you to do something bold and come to the front? Let's just be evangelists right now. Let's be great witnesses. Turn to the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, wherever you might find yourself. And just ask, hey, do you want to come to the front? Did you pray that prayer? And would you like to come to the front? Yeah, very good. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Let's give it up for our brother. We've got Sister Lee here as well. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. You brought your friend? Welcome, bro. Come to the front as well. Beautiful. Is there anyone else? This is actually quite fitting um, for our friends who've just given their hearts to Jesus because, you know, when, when you first get into a relationship, all you really want to do is, um, when you're not around them, you're telling your family, your friends all about this brand new relationship. You guys are actually the best evangelists. Church statistics show that 95% of people who come to church are from invitations from new believers within the first 12 months. 
That's what Jesus said to the church in, where was again, my, my memory's escaping me, Return, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. You do all these great amazing things, but I have this one thing against you that, have you, that you have left your first love. Now repent, change your mind, and go back to your first love and do the things that you did at first. There is some that fall under the trap and the floor is still open, by the way, if you want to come to the front. Thinking, you know what, I do the Christian activity, I, I tick the box of weekly attendance of church, I read my Bible, but if I'm honest, I'm not really telling anyone about Jesus. Do you remember the time when you used to? I love the fact that God still challenges us as a pastoral team to tell others about Him. It is my first love activity. Amongst worshipping, reading the Word of God, it is also telling people about Jesus. It is a random person on the street. And yes, sometimes God works on my awkwardness and fear. Or what if they reject me? Who gives a rip? Go for it anyway. Your pastor goes through some of these doubts sometimes. And I'm saying, God, I I want more of that fire in me to, to tell the world about you, to warn the world of what's to come. To not warn is to ultimately not love and be really just folks about us and our own comfort. So if you need prayer, come to the front. We're just going to pray. Prayer team, I need your help. Can we just lay hands on every individual here? And family, can we just stretch out our hands? And let's just pray for our new brother and sisters in Christ as well. Father, we thank you for these beautiful people who have decided to give their hearts to you, either for the first time or rededicating, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, for the the work that you've done on the cross to wipe away all our sins. And if anyone is in Christ Jesus, behold, the old has passed and the new has come. And the Lord says, I've made you a minister of reconciliation to reconcile those who are lost in the dark, to reconcile them to the Father like you've just been reconciled. So, Father, we just stretch out our hands to every single person here, regardless of how long they've been walking with you. Whether it's a decision made tonight or a decision made 30, 40 years ago. Father, we just lift them up in prayer right now for a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit and fire to come upon them, Lord. That boldness and courage to share your good news, regardless of who the person is in front of them, regardless of who else is around them and what situation they find themselves in. That God, if you say, speak my word, share my love, share my truth, that they will find within them rising up such an urgency to preach the good news in love, to preach it with power, In Jesus' mighty name, that they shall heal the sick. They shall cleanse the lepers, drive out demons, and raise the dead. That these signs will accompany those who follow. For we know, God, that your kingdom isn't just a matter of talk, but a demonstration of your power. So, Lord, you said power will come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Father, we pray for a baptism of Holy Spirit on our new brothers and sisters. In Jesus' mighty name, power to heal the sick, 
to open the blind eyes, open the deaf ears. I am not a physician. I'm a Filipino-born Australian migrant who believes in the Word of God. And for some reason, deaf ears open. It's because of Him. It's Jesus Christ, not me, not anything to do with this flesh, this temple. It's all God. It's all Him. If you would have the faith to believe that He would want to work through your hands. Father, work through these hands, work through these hearts, work through this mouth to release your healing, your anointing, to point people to a reality of God, not just through words, but through power in Jesus' name. Let's all be standing to our feet. Father, I pray for everyone in the room right now. Let's just raise our hands to heaven. And just say after me, Heavenly Father, I pray that you give me the heart and the wisdom to know our times. And like David prayed, teach me to number my years that I may gain a heart of wisdom. God, I pray for your divine wisdom over my life, over my mind and over my heart. Let me be a lover of wisdom. Let me be a lover of your word and your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I just sense right now, just, just a few more moments. Just close your eyes. Picture, if you will, the end of your life. You're looking back. Just you and your spouse or just you. There's grey hair. You might already have grey hair, but let's fast forward a little bit. Looking back, from this day forward to that day, you're looking back now. What do you see? What is the Lord showing you? What family members, what friends, what colleagues, what impact have you left? Think, think about the best scenarios. What is, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, whatever is good, dwell on such things. Think about the impact you want to leave. Ask Holy Spirit, what impact do you want me to leave? What trials have you overcome? What steps of boldness and courage have you taken to stand up for those who can't speak for themselves? Look back. Look back. And I say, God, I pray that I will leave an impact that gives you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, isn't God good? Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about Fire Church, head to our website, firechurch.com.au. And don't forget to connect with us on social media on Instagram, fire.church, Facebook, Fire Church, and YouTube, Fire Church TV. Have a blessed week.